Section 1 of The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 6, March 1897. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Galen Lee. The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 6, March 1897. Section 1. The Stolen Melody by Constance Fauntleroy Renzi Do you attend Madame Federer's reception this evening? asked the professor carelessly, as he prepared to depart. Yes, I think we are to go, answered Elizabeth, rising from the piano. I understand. Paul Jensen, the Swedish composer, is to be there. It did not escape the professor's swift observation that a wave of colour swept over the sensitive face of his pupil at the mention of this name. He is here, I presume, continued the maestro, to enter the list of competitors for the prize to be awarded by the Royal Academy next week. It is an honour worth striving after, Miss Elizabeth, although I am told that in your country the musical pulse beats much more slowly than with us. The young American girl remained silent. She was thinking over the attributes required to study music successfully in Germany under some of these absolutely perfect masters. Great courage, nerves of iron, insensibility to biting sarcasm, a strong back, intense ambition, intense love for your work, intense endurance, unrelaxed application, hours and years of study, the uplifting fury of a great passion, and the patience of job. These are a few of the many qualifications. Should you live through the ordeal, you can return to this country and print upon your card, pupil of the great maestro so-and-so, and the initiated understand that nature has fitted you to meet any strain upon the nervous system that can be imagined. You certainly have been tried and need never be found wanting under any emergency. Who would think that an Elizabeth Ainsley's slight and girlish figure could be bound up such heroism? Yet, she was laboring under more than ordinary difficulties. Professor Zeno was said to be the finest teacher of the day, his charges were enormous, they ruined you. But others were eagerly waiting to take your place should you drop away. It was considered a great distinction to be received as his pupil, and Mrs. Ainsley congratulated herself upon having secured his services for her daughter. More than one mother envied her. Yet Elizabeth felt a secret dislike and aversion to this man, which was wholly unaccountable. Indeed, the strains of this secret dread often left her, at the close of her lesson, in a state of nervous exhaustion that seriously hindered her studies. Then, again, when the mood was upon him, he would move her to such rapture by his rendering of her beloved old masters that every atom in her thrilled responsive, not only to the melodies, but also the corresponding forces. 
to her had been granted that rare artistic insight into the real poetry of sound that inspired the marvellous utterance of pythagoras when the almighty formed the universe it was by music to her also was known that discovery of modern science which confirms the poetic truth of the old philosopher's utterance the discovery that through all nature the surrounding of the octave causes the corresponding figure of the circle to appear thus when elizabeth's soul was uplifted by some immortal melody of a beloved master it was as though she shared in the biblical vision of the creation and listened to those world harmonies born when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of god shouted for joy into such realms as these the girl's thoughts had soared this morning when her master just before departing had seated himself at the piano and begun one of the beethoven's mastery sonatas sunk in the depths of an armchair elizabeth listened in almost painful rapture and when with the final chord he turned and directed a penetrating glance towards her she was unable to repress a shudder presently with a steady powerful gaze he fixed his eyes upon her own vainly she endeavoured to evade this look for a moment her heart throbbed furiously then it stood still as if turned into stone and she felt herself drifting helplessly into unconsciousness her alarmed pride availed nothing her efforts to rise were futile those compelling eyes were still powerfully concentrating upon his and still scintillating that baleful light which seemed to penetrate her soul nearer and nearer he came taking her hand in his elizabeth had no power to withdraw them all her will force had ebbed from her in a few seconds she was in a deep sleep then the professor in a low penetrating voice addressed her yes he said you will go this evening to madame federer's you will meet paul jensen but first tell me if you know him i know him you met him where in copenhagen when last summer you have heard him play often listen this is what you must do and slowly and distinctly with the same voice of authority he continued you must ask him to play his last fantasies which has never yet been heard in public he is saving it for the prize contest at the royal academy he will play for you memorize it do not miss one note one phrase and tomorrow morning at ten i will be here you will then play it for me but listen you must forget it except when i ask for it and now finish your sleep it is eleven o'clock awake in thirty minutes here he dropped her hands made a pass or two and withdrew leaving his pupil in her death-like trance 
Precisely at half past eleven, Elizabeth awoke, remembering nothing beyond listening to the last strains of Beethoven's Sonata Appassionata. He plays wonderfully, she murmured. Why do I dislike him so? And then the remembrance of the evening's concert, and of the young Swedish composer, whom she was again to meet there, sent her thoughts into pleasanter channels. By the time that she reached Madame Federer's, she had forgotten everything save a happiness that rendered her delicate beauty fairly radiant. Seated with her mother in a retired corner of the drawing room, the young American dominated the gathering from the moment of her appearance, and many envious eyes were turned upon her when the lion of the evening, Paul Jensen, hastened upon his entrance to greet her, evidently as an old friend. Tall, blonde-haired, of novel presence, he certainly was most attractive, this young Swedish composer, and made one happy simply because he was himself surcharged with happiness. An irresistible joyousness pervaded his manner, drawing all to him. His voice was ringing with animation. His quick intelligence commanded those around him. Even her Camille, the famous and much-feared art critique, smiled and asked graciously, What are you to submit before the Academy tomorrow evening, Jensen? I know that you intend to honour us by competing for the prize. Yes, yes, stormed a chorus of voices. Do, dear Herr Jensen, do give us some idea of your motif. A phrase, no? A single bar, then. To all their entreaties, however, Jensen returned a cautious negative, protesting that he wished them to hear his composition for the first time on the following evening. In the end, he silenced them only by dashing into one of their own national airs, delighting them with the feeling and brilliancy of his execution. It was in the buzz of conversation following upon this performance that Jansen managed to secure a few quiet moments with Elizabeth in a remote corner of the library. Here, he put her through an eager catechism as to her travels and studies, everything, in short, that had made up her life since the preceding summer. Bringing up finally to the question, And how goes the music, Miss Ainsley? Who is your master? Zeno. Zeno. The sparkling blue eyes of the young Swede suddenly clouded. Zeno, he repeated. You startle me. It is the name of the only man I can ever remember to have offended. He makes no secret of his enmity to me. Your enemy? Oh, then I can understand understand why I hate him. It had been on the girl's lips to say, but she stopped short, flushing at what would have been an awkward pause, had not Mrs. Ainsley just then appeared in search of her daughter. In her train followed several of the guests, so intent upon introductions to Jensen and the beautiful young American, that soon the trio were swept apart. Not, however, before Mrs. Ainsley had asked the young composer to take a cup of bouillon with herself and Elizabeth 
after the concert to talk over the approaching contest and to give your opinion on elizabeth's playing mrs ainsley had said by way of accounting for the unceremonious invitation but that the meeting meant far more to jensen and elizabeth was evident from the radiant faces of both when soon after ten mrs ainsley ushered the young musician into her pretty little apartment unacknowledged even by themselves love was standing perilously near this man and maiden his shining wings hiding a roguish smile when he moved some of the glittering light fell from these wings on elizabeth's waving brown hair was reflected in paul's blue eyes gathered around mrs ainsley's tea-table they sipped nectar and ambrosia the mother called it bullion and said it was too salty but she was mistaken sometimes one sups with the gods then elizabeth played and played well her slender girlish figure looking inexpressibly poetic in the subdued light as she finished a chest a little bit curiously original what is that inquired her jensen i seem not to know it then as elizabeth only smiled it is your own he cried and it is admirable grasping her hand warmly in his something in mrs ainsley's face may have indicated surprise at the young composer's fervency at any rate a few moments later he rose and would have made his adieu had not elizabeth entreated with unwonted fire surely before you go her jensen you will at least let us hear one piece of your own then as she waited for his reply she distinctly heard a low authoritative voice pronounce these words you must ask him to play his last fantasies which has never yet been heard in public he is saving it for the prize contest which is to come off to-morrow night at the royal academy he will play for you memorize it do not miss one note one phrase and to-morrow morning at ten i will be here the next moment as in a dream she found herself begging for a hearing of jansen's new composition and still as in a dream she saw the young composer sit himself at the instrument and began the fantasy which was destined in its day to turn the hat of all the musical world he will play it for you you will memorize every note of it echoed faintly in her ear as she listened to that ever-recurring distant melody which sounded further and further away like music heard in sleep then she knew no more until she awoke confused and embarrassed to find her jansen somewhat constrainedly taking his leave amid mrs ainsley's apologies for her daughter's remissness what can he think of me how can it have happened that i should sleep while he poured out his soul to me she sobbed when she had received her mother's kiss and crept into bed and in spite of her weariness elizabeth lay awake far into the morning leaving over the events of the evening and wondering if the young composer would ever forgive her glaring lack of appreciation so thoroughly was her mind possessed by thoughts like these 
that she had absolutely forgotten Professor Zeno when on the next morning, punctually at ten, her master was announced. At the sound of his name, a tremor passed over the girl, and a confused apprehension of some undefined evil surged through her brain. Nor did this feeling disappear when Zeno, recounting a startling piece of news, namely that the prize contest was not to take place that evening but had been postponed for a week that its leader the great lander might obey the king's commands to the capital city and consult with his majesty regarding an opera to be given on the queen's birthday indeed to all this his listener made no reply sinking listlessly into the nearest chair she silently acceded to his suggestion that as she was evidently too fatigued for a lesson, he would play to her. A Presto in F by Moschelis No sooner, however, had she settled herself than he left the instrument, and silently approaching her once more, transfixed her with that steady, soul-searching glance that deprived her of all power of volition. Again, those malignant eyes scintillated the dangerous light taking her unresisting hands in his her master commanded in the tone of a quiet authority you will now seat yourself at the piano and play for me without missing a note her johnson's prize composition which your psychic memory retains exactly as you heard it last night very slowly like one walking in her sleep Elizabeth rose and approached the instrument, where, with all her skill and knowledge and artistic fire, she played through the fantasy just as she had heard it performed by her Jensen the night before. Zeno listened with intense concentration of thought. Again and again sounded the ever-recurrent wonderful melody, woven like one of Bach's fugues through every conceivable form and key. It was like the poet Warglen's swallow, of which he says, Then I lifted up my soul and saw the swallow sinking, floating softly through the milk-white clouds on high. How she drifted through the blue. I scarce could follow her sun-gilded body, though the sun lay in a dark cloud hollow. How she sprang and turned in flashing, as a weaving in mid-air with her wing points through and through, a strange web of gold and blue, while the balsam drops afar, on her beak glittered like a double star. Very seldom is born a truly symmetrical melody, one which contains life and personality, of which artist will say, it has a right to live, it is immortal. Such a one was this composition by Janssen's, and recognized at once as such by Zeno. He realized, too, that this would unquestionably carry off the coveted prize and crown the author with fame. And it was with a smile of absolute triumph that he drew out his notebook and, with his marvelous dexterity, wrote down the music while Elizabeth played. The composition finished, he led his pupil back to her chair, and with a few passes brought her out of her trance.
than naming her evident fatigue as an excuse for his immediate departure he withdrew leaving her with no other recollection of the morning than one of annoyance that she had again succumbed to sleep during the performance of a masterpiece it was the evening of the long-expected competition owing to the absence of lander detained to drill the imperial orchestra three weeks instead of one had elapsed since the date first set for the contest and to-night the vast and brilliant audience that crowded the royal academy seemed fairly to scintillate suppressed excitement and enthusiasm old general eitel blazing with orders the much-beloved princess sophia a famous literary light from paris even royalty itself all had signified approval by their presence while from orchestra to topmost gallery the house showed unbroken lines of eager animated people in gala dress assembled to witness the contest between their favourite composers already ten of the twelve competing numbers had been rendered all of them marked by such beauty of theme and brilliancy of execution as had kept the audience in a ferment of applause joyful anticipation however has centred about the compositions of professor zano and paul jensen and the fact that the works of these two favourite composers had been reserved for the end of the programme has stretched expectancy of an almost painful tension on the right of the balcony with her mother said elizabeth her bared brown head bent a little forward her fingers clenched in an almost uncontrollable excitement nor to elizabeth did that night mean simply an interesting musical contest though only three weeks had elapsed since the evening of the concert time had been reckoned for her by heartbeats and not by arbitrary days and moments for in those three weeks had dawned her life's romance at her earnest entreaty professor zeno had been dismissed and the girl had become first paul jansen's pupil and then at her mother's consent his promised wife only the evening before she had bade him godspeed during the approaching contest as confidently yet as solemnly as with a soldier's sweetheart when girding on the sword of her hero to-night when she saw him take his place beside professor zeno in the seats reserved at the front for the artists it was as though she watched him go forth to battle with mighty hosts amid a solemn hush lander wearing on a blue ribbon above his heart the new decoration bestowed by his king takes his place on the platform at last professor zeno's long-anticipated composition is to be given to the world with a peculiar impatient ominous tat-tat the great leader lifts his baton its flaming jewel scintillating rapid lines of fire the moment is indescribable what hangs suspended in the trembling air a mighty symphony is floating concealed as yet see it start into shape could you actually behold it it is glowing 
with color born of light and sound but of what shall that tone picture be built vibrations corresponding in color and form music building up an invisible structure its storm is all around you watch with all your senses out of the air it descends this marvelous rush of sound you are enveloped and all else is for the time forgotten but now elizabeth starts violently as in a dream she sees her old master mount the platform and begin to play where has she heard that melody what is stealing over her by degrees several heads turn to gaze curiously at the lovely american girl who sits with her brown eyes fixed in a wide stare as though she saw something invisible to those around her the next moment however she recovers herself and leans breathlessly forward when a sudden disturbance bursts upon the audience like a whirlwind a most unheard of outrage has been perpetrated the young composer paul jensen has dashed upon the platform and hurling himself upon professor zeno has dragged him from the instrument with the force of a madman straightway amid angry cries of shame and order mingled with groans and hisses jansen is seized by a group of excited musicians while professor zeno stands quietly by an inscrutable smile on his scornful lips excitement sweeps like prairie fire through the entire assembly men are angrily gesticulating women whipping the blaze of emotion has reached even the box where royalty is seated when paul wrenches himself free from the hands that would restrain him thief thief he stammers then in a louder voice begins gentlemen this man has stolen my melody he but here his words are drowned by a storm of hoarse protests and threatening exclamations at this point when excitement has reached the pitch where it seems that personal harm may be inflicted on the young swede by the angry musicians lander interferes advancing to the front of the platform he lifts his baton with that well-known silence compelling air of authority and sternly calls upon the perpetrator of this outrage for an explanation with eyes and nerves strained to the utmost elizabeth sees jensen his natural dignity and self-control now restored step forward and bow his thanks to the great leader then in an unshaken voice and pointing steadily to the figure of zeno the young swede repeats his charge this man he says firmly has stolen my melody the composition he has played as his own is my own original property let him dare deny it but his words seem to fall on deaf ears not only is zeno smiling disdainfully the face of lander reflects incredulity had not zeno shown him on his arrival the manuscript of this very composition and had not the leader recognized it even then as the work which would bear off the laurels of the evening more would bring the artistic world to its composer's feet in a voice whose coldness indicates his conviction he asks turning to jansen do you know professor zeno 
And when the young composer returns a negative answer, he continues, "Then how should he know anything of your work? Have you played it for others? Has anyone heard it? No, no one yet." But here, Jansen suddenly stops short. His already pale face grows livid. He staggers back as though shot to the heart. His eyes staring out into the aisle. There, advancing. All unconscious of the curious eyes of the audience, unmindful even of the half-distraught mother who has sunk back, half fainting, into a seat in the balcony, a pale, wide-eyed girl makes her way to the very platform. It is Elizabeth with words of entreaty on her lips. Upon her, however, Jansen looks only with horror, for was it not she his betrothed? Was it not she in whom alone he had placed the confidence that had betrayed him? Very slowly and with solemn impressiveness, he stretches forth his right hand in a gesture of dismissal. It is in vain that the girl sobs out incoherent pleas for a hearing. His averted face, his motionless hand, carry even to the breathless audience the force of repudiation. All who have escaped the contagion of the previous excitement are now frozen in their places. Even Elizabeth stands for an instant, as if paralyzed by the shock of her lover's suspicion. Then, with a firm, proud air, she turns and surveys undauntedly the assembled artists. Again, a wave of excitement shivers through the audience. In that look, the eyes of the girl have met. Those of her former master, they turn suddenly fixed and staring. Her head inclines forward, as though she were listening to a faraway voice, which dominates her will. In vain, the professor endeavors to undo his work. He is forced to see her once more fall into a somnambulic trance, in which she hears again that far-off whisper. You will memorize it. You will play for me. Slowly mounting the platform, she approaches, unhindered, the grand piano and seats herself. Again, a great hush falls over the audience. They watch Elizabeth with breathless awe, dressed all in pure white, her lovely arms bare, a wreath of snowdrops resting on her brown hair. This slender young girl dominates the entire assembly, like some visitant from another world. Paul, meantime, stands absolutely speechless, for now she has begun to play, and never has a woman been heard to play so magnificently, with a brilliancy and fire far beyond that of any of the competing artists, and crowning wonder. The music that she plays is the same overmastering melody that both the Swedish composer and Professor Zeno have claimed, each as his own composition. On and on she plays with a rapturous swing and verve, absolutely intoxicating, until her hearers can no longer be restrained. Their enthusiasm reaches a climax in a wild rush of applause, ringing again and again through the hall. They go wild. Women weep and wave their handkerchiefs. Jewels and flowers are torn from the bosoms 
even of the occupants of the royal box, and flung amid thundering ravels at the girl's feet. But Elizabeth, deaf apparently to all their demonstrations, having finished her performance, rises and slowly walks to the front of the stage. There, like a beautiful marble statue, she stands motionless, her hands clasped over her heart. The lander is seen springing to her side, carrying aloft a wreath of laurel which someone has forwarded to his hand. With fiery animation, he crowns her as she stands, while the audience gives voice to its delight and admiration in applause that beats fair to rend the rafters. In the midst of this unparalleled demonstration, the eyes of the young composer, falling on his enemy, chance to intercept the malignant glance that Professor Zeno is darting upon his former pupil. In that instant, Paul recalls long-forgotten memories of Professor Zeno's boasts of superhuman power over the human will. And like lightning, it flashed through his mind a revelation of the occult means by which his melody was stolen and the awful injustice of his attitude towards Elizabeth. Then, as unmindful as she of the gaping assembly, he rushes forward and prostrates himself before her, beseeching her forgiveness. But Elizabeth neither hears nor sees him. Gently she sings, so gently, that she seems almost to float into his outstretched arms. The sentiment-loving Teutons are thrown into ecstasy by this lovely scene. It is then that Paul still supporting in his arms the inanimate figure of the girl, calls the artists to his side, and in a few convincing sentences discloses the method by which he has been betrayed. Then, gesturing towards Zeno, he concludes, in a voice that penetrates to the topmost gallery, It is this man who, by compelling his pupil to play to him my composition, memorized by her during a mesmeric trance, has stolen my memory. Tonight she has fallen again under his evil influence. Let him be compelled to restore her to herself. During this speech, several pairs of strong arms are forcing Zano to the front. There is a meanness in the air that is more compelling than spoken threats. Unwillingly, yet not without a certain exhilaration, the musician is forced to give an exhibition of his hypnotic powers. A few passes from his fingers, and Elizabeth opens her eyes to find herself in her lover's arm, with a thousand curious and sympathetic eyes turned upon her. As she rises, confused and embarrassed, asking wonderingly where she is and what has happened, Landa, in response to the whispering suggestion of Jensen, turns to her. Bitter, Fräulein, he says kindly, you have just favoured us with a magnificent rendering of the work which we are led to believe is the composition of her Jensen. Will you be kind enough to repeat it for us, as it is also claimed by Professor Zeno? You alone can solve this mystery. I play her Jansen's music. I do not understand. 
I never struck a note of it. Under cover of the babble of confused utterances that follows, Professor Zeno stealthily withdraws, while Paul turns to Elizabeth with a whispered appeal which sends the blood to her face. But before her voice can confirm the forgiveness in her eyes, Lander has quieted the storm of voices by demanding, Will Er Jansen honour us by producing his own work? Adding, as the young composer bows his assent, I beg that the audience will be seated and compose themselves. Let the orchestra resume their places. It is the final test. For a moment, the vast audience holds its breath as one man, while, for the third time this evening, it awaits the playing of the disputed masterpiece. Almost it seems impossible that any musician, even the composer himself, can rival the last rendering of that wonderful melody. But from the first note, any such doubts are dissipated. Jansen is more than justified. He fairly ravishes his hearers. This is no mere manipulation of keys. It is the soul of the composer speaking through his instrument to the souls of his hearers. It is the spirit of harmony, soothing and tranquilizing, the hearts only a moment ago rent by fiery emotions. Silently, they wait while the last note dissolves and fades away into the air, while Lander, mutely embracing the young composer, crosses to Elizabeth and with a whispered injunction presses something into her hand. Still silently, they watch while Elizabeth, advancing proudly to her Jansen's side, pins upon his breath the jewel decoration, shining from a red gold embroidered ribbon, which signifies her lover's triumph. But as the young musician bends and reverently kisses the trembling fingers that have decorated him, then stands facing the vast audience with the girl's hand locked in his. Sympathetic understanding finds vent in such a clamor of applause as brings the entire assembly to its feet. In an instant, the young pair are surrounded. They are seized upon and crowned with flowers and thrown on a garlanded divan, while the orchestra, at a signal from Lander, bursts into the Swedish national hymn. Almost they are carried on the shoulders of the surging throng, fired to the verge of frenzy by this culminating scene of a series that has swept the entire gamut of their feelings. Thus, amid rejoicings and ovations, brilliant as those of a royal coronation, Paul and Elizabeth celebrated their twofold triumph, and the contest that had so nearly extinguished the dearest hopes of two lives went out in a blaze of never-to-be-forgotten glory. End of section 1 Read by Yelin Lee